with me this morning. We're going to just pick up kind of here where we left off last time, talking about the simplicity that is in Christ and, uh, and those ideas. And this morning, we're going to just look here at uh, two simple principles that we need to remember. And doing this because next week, we're going to kind of start a new series of things for the summer that will be a little bit heavier in thinking uh, but at the same token, because folks are going to be kind of in and out, summer hits and everybody goes north. I don't know why, but everybody does. What is it? Looking for cooler country or cooler weather, I think is what. So, you know, and I get it and everything. And, uh, but uh, we'll have a good time studying the word. And I uh, want to start here at Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous but for you it is safe our heavenly father we thank you for the morning we thank you for your word and we thank you for who you have made us in your son and that all of the sufficiency rests in those two items and we thank you for that in your name we pray amen it's an interesting thing verse verse one here of chapter three he says finally my brother now he's didn't talk to him for two chapters and you think when he says finally he's done but he goes on for two more chapters so if you hear me say, finally, brethren, you know we ain't done yet, okay? But uh, anyway, so he, he, to write the same things to you, I, I like that. Write the same thing. You know, he doesn't say nothing new here, something new for you to consider. He says, we're going to keep going. We're going to go over what? The same things. Why? Because it's safe. That's where the safety is. There is a safety issue here that as we move and as we talk about different subjects and different items, come over with me to the other passage from last time, 2 Corinthians 11. As we begin to look at things and as we begin to think about and to consider uh, different subject matters, I don't know if you've ever thought about why the world's so crazy. Do you know the world's not crazy? It's the world. It's doing its thing. But we look at it, man, it's so crazy. Well, why is that? We're going to kind of dive into some of that, some of the stuff I've been teaching with the men on Saturday mornings over the years. I'm going to bring it and teach here a little bit of it. And just so that you recognize and think about things, but really so you have some safety and understanding, some safety in knowing. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul talks here about, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve. Through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There is a simplicity to this. There is safety to this. There's a reason to go over it and over it and over it and over again. Not to bore you to death, you know. Not to come up with a new, a new, stu- uh, a new story or any of that. But because this is what we tend, this is what we need. Because where do we leave here today? You go here today, you go to lunch, or you go home. The next thing you know, it's Monday morning, and where do we go? Well, we're right back to the job. We're right back to the dealing with the kids. We're right back dealing with the neighbors. We're right back dealing with uh, whoever you retired people deal with, okay? You're, you're right back into all of that, right? And then quickly, what, what begins to kind of move away from you? The, the simplicity in Christ stuff. Even though we're living in that and we are to live his life in that element, what do we begin to lose? We begin to leave. We begin to leave really two basic principles. And I just want to spend this morning with you reminding you, I hope, to, about this. Not really teaching you something brand new, but if it is new, then grasp it, get it, think about it. As we begin here and as we begin to think about different things in life, Some of us are struggling (laughs) health-wise. Some of us struggle financially. We we all struggle, don't we? It doesn't matter what it is, you know. How do we get through that? Where do we go? Where do we land? How do we work through it? The world would tell us to run to philosophy. The world tells us to go see the psychiatry. The world tells us, did, did, did you... I don't know if you guys pay attention to local politics, but the lady that used to be the county attorney, she passed away, and they said mental illness. You know what that stands for in the mental illness community? Suicide. That's what they say. 
in that environment, they don't say suicide because don't say that, but they say died due to mental illness. I, didn't know, I don't know of a mental illness that can kill you without you helping, see, and that's what they do. We all suffer, but where do we go? How should we? Paul says that men are going to wax worse and worse and get, it's going to get worse, but continue, but thou, continue thou in the things that you've learned and of whom you've learned. See, there's places for us as believers to go. And you know what? It's simple. It is really simple. And the hardest part is believing it. The hardest part is saying it's just that simple. That's really the hardest part. The two principles. One, the word of God is what? Complete. Therefore, God is not giving forth, sending out, revealing additional information. That when we come to the word of God for English-speaking people in a King James Bible, it's what? Complete. 2 Timothy 3.16, we'll get over there in just a minute. It says, for, I just biffed it. How does it start? I just biffed it. All scripture. For all. All scripture. All scripture. All of it's given. There's not, he's not going to come out and pull out another book and say, oh yeah, I got this over here. It's all been given. Everything, all the scripture has been given. He has said it all, and we don't, there's nothing more we need. It's right here. And then the second point is that Christ is all sufficient, and that the grace of God is sufficient. I don't need anything else. That word sufficient means adequate to stand alone. You've, he's equipped you. He's left you here. Think about that. When you got saved, he didn't take you home. He left you here. He gave you a job to do as an ambassador. Romans 8 says, where do we live? We live in a sin-cursed creation. That's where we live. Galatians 6 says, if you make dumb decisions, you're going to reap stupidity. That's what you're going to reap. The law of the harvest, you're going to reap what you sow. So be careful what you sow. And then over in 2 Timothy, he says, if you decide to live a godly life, you're going to suffer persecution. See, there's no reason we should ever say, why me, Lord, what have I ever done? To deserve just one. Why? You should never say that. Why? Because you know. Why? Because you have the completed word of God and you have a sufficiency in Christ. And I think sometimes we all need that reminder. I do. The past couple months, for me, have been a big struggle. And you know what? I'm sitting, there, I'm sitting in that office right there, and I'm reading, and I'm praying, and I'm thinking about things. And you know what? The next thing you know, it's odd how you come across a set of notes that says, simplicity that's in Christ. And I go, oh, what was I doing? Why, I was trying to make something complicated and didn't need to be. It just needed to be simple. So as we look at this, I, I don't need anything else. Rather, what I do need is to get into the book, rightly divided, study out what I have, what I already have, and rejoice in that simplicity that's there. Come over to Matthew 22 with me. Let's just look quickly. Again, I'm hoping to remind you maybe give you a verse or something you haven't seen before. When we think about the scriptures, the word of God, the book, folks, you and I, we are people of a book. That's what we are. Because the book is where God has revealed himself. Where do I come in contact with God? God is a spirit. He sits outside of, 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 every, of, of, of all of it, of creation. So how do I get in contact with him? Hello, are you there? You know, that's Job with the bail. Hey, maybe he's on vacation. You know, dial him up, text him. No, how do I? I come to his word. And that's why the Bible issue is an issue. Because it's where I make contact with God. It's where God has revealed himself. That's why it's God's word that sits outside. It's that, out, that standard, that, that's, that objective standard that is outside of me. 
That's why when I come to this book, when you come to this book, it is right all the time. Well, I just don't believe that. The problem isn't the book. The problem is you don't believe it. <laughs> That's the problem. You see, first hour we're studying through Romans 9, 10, and 11, and Israel, well, God didn't show, God didn't give it to us. And, and Paul says, yeah, he did, and he goes back and quotes all the Psalms and the prophets and all this stuff, and he proves what did God do? He gave his word to the nation. What did he do to you and I? He gave us the word as well. God has spoken all that he intended to speak and then caused it to be written down in a book. And the two doctrines are the doctrines of inspiration and the doctrines of preservation. And those are biblical doctrines. I know they're in the theology books, but they come from the pages of Scripture. The doctrine of inspiration, Matthew 22 and verse number 31, gives the, the definition of inspiration and preservation in one verse. Matthew 22 Verse 31, the Lord here, uh, back up in verse 23, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and ask him, and they begin to quiz him. And in verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Notice he doesn't say, you err because you don't have the Scriptures. You see, the Sadducees is one of the four sects that lead Israel, that are a proponent of Israel's government. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and then the lawyers. And in each of those groups, you've got these, this issue of, of they have the scriptures. The Sadducees, by the way, you know how you remember what they believe? They don't believe in a resurrection, so they're sad, you see. Okay, boom, all right, you work on that. By the way, they also don't believe in the angels either and all that, okay? That's how you teach the kids how to remember you don't want to be a Sadducee. Why? Because there's, well, what does the verse say? They don't believe in a resurrection. But notice what he does. He's going to answer them, and he says, answer how? You do not what? You don't know the Scriptures. You err here. Then he says in verse 31, but as touching the resurrection of the dead. Now watch. Definition. Have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and he goes and quotes Exodus 3. Notice what verse 31 does. Have you not read what would be required for them to have the word of God to read? What would have to happen? It would have to what? Be there. Okay? Then he says what was spoken to you. That's the issue of inspiration. God speaks it. What's he speak? He speaks the word. You're in Matthew. Come over to chapter 24. Matthew 24 and verse 35. So the issue of the doctrine of inspiration and preservation is nothing new. It's on the pages from the very beginning. He looks at Moses and says, write this stuff down. He looks at Job, write it down. He, Isaiah, write it down. Why? Because it's going to be for a future generation. You know what that means? That means God's word will be here for how long? Forever. Today, in the English language, it sits in a King James Bible. Okay? And I'll show you a verse to kind of check that with it in just a minute. But the thing is, is what is the issue? Look at Matthew 24, look at verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my, what? Words shall not. You see, the issue, folks, is what? The words. The words are the issue. Why? John chapter 6. We'll go over to John 6. The word of God causes something to happen in your life. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. What does the word of God do? What's the words of God do? It produces what in you? It produces some stuff in you. It produces some life in you. 2 Timothy 3. That's what it does. That's its design is to do. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, just so we have the verses. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. There's that issue of God breathed. He spoke the word. When in Genesis 1 in creation, by the way, there are three creations that God creates. 
We're going to talk about them, okay? When he does the physical creation, Genesis 1, the six days there, and God what? Said. And boom, there it goes. And, it, and he looks at it and he says, yep, it matches the blueprint. It's all good. God speaks it. His words produce life. Paul says all scriptures give all scripture, all of it. Paul had it all, folks. He had Genesis to Revelation. He had it all. The writings are done. When Paul puts his pen down at the end of his life in 2 Timothy there, it is done. When he looks at Timothy and says, man, bring the parchments, you know what he's bringing? Reader's Digest, the newspaper. No, he's bringing the book. He said, bring it. I need to read some stuff up here. I'm studying. I'm working out some things in my own. Could you imagine the Lord giving you a revelation and then you've got to go home and study it? I'd be, Lord, just help me out with this, would you? Just reach in there and do, do it. No. What did he do with the, remember what he did with the disciples, the apostles, and the parables? Matthew 13. He gives the parables so that they can understand it and the unbelieving element doesn't get it. But then he's got to explain it to them so they know how to digest it and how, how to decode them. Could you imagine getting the decoder right then and there? Paul's like, hey, no. What, Paul, what do you got to do? 2 Timothy 2.15. You got to go study this out, Paul. See, he, I, I think about how he treated Paul in some of this. I'm going, wow. Man, because you know what Paul's asking. Okay, what did you really mean? Because <laughs> isn't that what you ask? Well, what do you really mean here, Lord? You know, he's doing it. Hey, that passage back over there in Psalm 70, what were you really talking about? He goes, just study it out and keep, keeps on going. <laughs> You know, why? Because that's the mode of operandi, isn't it? What do you do? Well, what do we learn? All, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is what? Profitable. It's designed, the Word of God is designed to produce some stuff in your life. It's designed to produce life. It's designed to produce, well, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Perfect. This design is to produce some maturity. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, man, I, I was sitting and working on this, and I'm like, you know, this ought to just be old hat. It ought to just be, but what is, it's safe to be reminded. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 13, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, and he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us. Man, when the Thessalonians heard Paul preaching, you know what they recognized instantly? That's the word of God right there. He hadn't written a book yet. This is Acts 14 when he's in there with Berea and all that. Acts 14 or no? Anyway, you work it out. I'll figure, I'll, it'll come in a minute, okay? What's he doing? He says, man, when I got there and I started preaching to you, you know what you recognized? You recognized it to be the word of God. All right, this is going to bug me, so just give me a second. Seconds up. It is not Acts 14. It is Acts 17. Sorry, okay? Where he goes from Berea to Thessalonica, okay? All right, rewind. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, you received the word of God which you heard of us. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which, now watch, effectually worketh also in you that, what? Believe. Effectually does what? Works. There's something inside of you working its way out. What is it? It's the word of God that we've received from Paul. It's the sound doctrine. You see, the Word of God is designed to produce some life in you. It's designed to produce some fruit in your life. Uh, come back over with me to Colossians 1. Just kind of think about this. We say we got the Word of God, and we know we do, and, and we're not going to study out inspiration and preservation. We've done that in the past. Online, is on the YouTube page, there's a whole seminar on the King James Bible uh, you can spend time. I, I encourage you to do it. We go through all the manuscript evidence and so forth. But when you come to Scripture, its design is to produce something. Colossians 1, look at verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. 
Isn't that interesting? What does Ephesians 1.13 say? When you hear the word, Ephesians 1.13, hold on to Colossians. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 1.13. What did you hear? You heard the word of truth. You heard the word of the gospel. What did you hear? You heard you're a dirty, rotten sinner on your way to hell. Wow, isn't that great to hear? But that's what you heard. But you heard you needed something. You were lost. And you heard you needed a, a Savior, someone to come in and, and to rescue you from sin and the penalties thereof. And then you hear, hey, you know what he did? He died for me. He was buried and he rose again. He did this for me. And when I was his enemy, now I'm his friend. When I was ungodly, now I'm godly. When I was unrighteous, now I've been made righteous in him. That's what I need. You didn't need to hear Abadabadu come walk down the aisle. Do this, do that. What did you need to hear? I'm lost. And I need a Savior. If, have, uh, the, Linda and I and the kids, we're going to go camping in June. So we're unloading stuff out of the, out of the many areas our camping equipment has been stored in. <laughs> and you know what happens when you don't take batteries out of certain things over time? Because it's been like five or six years since we've been It's corroded, isn't it? So... Now, with the hunting, I have my GPS because I use that a little more. And you know what you do? You, you carry a GPS around. I carry a GPS and a compass because that GPS sometimes gets, and I've learned, you learn how to read a compass. And what are you trying to do? Get what? Unlost. Because I've been out. I climbed out of a hunting tree. I got turned around. And if it wasn't for running into Jeff by accident, I'd have still been walking around them goofy hills looking. Because you know what happens? It all looks the same. Do you know a tree is a tree is a tree? Looks like a tree. Did I come in? Hey, and you know what happened? Not, so then Jeff says, well, here, I'll use one of mine. <laughs> and mark it. And I, now the next morning, it's pitch black. You know what I'm doing? I got the GPS like this, and I walked into the tree. You know, cause, you know, you got your flashlight in your, and I'm, I ain't missing this thing. You know, why? What did you know? You're lost, and what do you want to do? You want to be found. And he says, I found you here. The Word of God is designed to effectually work in you that what? When the moment you trusted Calvary and the cross work, what happened to you? Oh, man, just the heaven's gate of blessings poured down on you. It did? I didn't feel anything. Ooh. Now what do I have to do? Man, Romans 1.16, power of God unto what? Salvation. Now i got to get in the book and study out everything i got. Because you have it as a present possession. You're not waiting for So go back to Colossians 1. Verse 5, it's designed to produce what? Life. The gospel. Verse 6, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth, what? Fruit, as it doeth also in you, since the day ye heard it, and knew that the grace of God in truth. What happens? What do you, what ha you look over there and you say, man, if he saved me, then there's, and, and what do I do now? I don't know any believer that ever says, glad I'm saved him, I ain't doing nothing for him anymore. What is the natural response? Thank you. What can I do for you? And he says, I got a life for you to go live, and it's my life. And he begins to open up from Scripture how it is to be a husband, how it is to be a wife, how it is to have a family, how it is to ha go and work on the job that we just all love to go to on Monday mornings. So much fun. Woohoo! No, how do I look at that? How do I begin to have my thinking adjusted to think like he thinks? 
What's happening? 1 Thessalonians 2.13. The word is what? A working in me. It's producing a workout. In, and all you're doing is what you normally do. Do you know the moment you got saved? I hope you didn't. I shouldn't say this, what happened to you. But the moment you got saved, you didn't go quit your job. What did you do? You kept working. You're still here, so I assumed you kept working. But now what happens? You begin to study. Come over to Colossians 2. You begin to get the word in you. And you know what it begins to produce in you? A walk well-pleasing to the Lord. You begin to do some things that you go, you know what? I need to change my attitude about my job. Because what's my job geared for? It, my job is geared, Ephesians 6, for the life of Christ to be put on display. But wait a minute. What does that work supposed to, what does that mean then? Well, it says that if a man doesn't provide for his own, he's what? Worse than an infidel. He's denied the faith. Why? Because Paul says God isn't going to rain down blessings from heaven's glory on you physically. Get a job. Get a haircut and a real job as the song says. And you know what you do? You go out because what do you want? You, you, if you're married and you got kids, you got wants that have to be taken care of because eventually that kid wants to eat. Eventually. You know? Maybe not. I don't know. Some of you, okay? So what do you got to do? You got to go take care of business. How do I do that? So you read over there in Ephesians 4, and he talks about money and why you work and to have, to take care of your own, but then to also come over here and support the local assembly, to also then come over here and support others who need help where you can't be a benefactor. You see, it just gets to meddling. Colossians 2, look at verse 6. As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, what? So walk ye in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? That's the question to ask. You did it by faith. So now how am I walking? By faith. I hope you're seeing the simplicity in all this. I didn't go to and get a four-year divinity, what is it, DVTTTT degree? Double LT? It's a, it's a bunch of whole things behind it. Got more degrees behind his name than thermometers can read, as they say. You just study. Here it is. It's right here. Verse 7, how do I walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught? See, there's a teaching ministry of the book. The book has a teaching ministry. The book comes along and says, you know what? There's a, there's a work to, to be done, and that work is only going to be accomplished by the sufficiency of God's word working in your life. The moment you try to help it is really the moment it just says no and stop. Because the issue is it working in you and then out into life. The source of it, the source of the word of God, we know all scripture is given by inspiration of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. Well, who was made flesh of the Godhead? The Lord Jesus Christ. There's the Word. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we know where the source comes from. He uses men, okay? Over there in Peter, he says, holy men, as they were moved. So he uses the personality of the man. He doesn't override the personality, but he, what does he do? The Holy Spirit works in there and gets the job done. Come over to Galatians 3. I, I just, just this, the source is God himself. Think about this verse, Galatians 3, verse 8. Galatians 3, verse 8. And the, what? The scripture. Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, and these shall all nations be blessed. Who foresaw that event? Let's think about that. Who foresaw that event? Well, God the Father did. The Lord Jesus Christ does. The Holy Spirit does. But what does the verse say did? The scripture did. Whoa, that means that book's not something to be messed with, is it? That's some heavy duty right there. 
Because what does the Scripture ye do err not knowing the Scripture? Have you never read this? Why? Because it's God himself doing what? Talking the language of man. I don't know if you've ever, I, people talk about translating and all how hard it is and all this. Do you know it was never hard for the Lord to move out of deity language into the Hebrew language, giving it to Moses? And then Moses turns and in the Egyptian language says the same thing to Pharaoh. And then it is recorded in Hebrew and then it is recorded down into to, uh, English. Transla- Translating is not the problem. The problem is the agenda of who's doing the translating, okay? The source is who? The source is God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we need to remember that. Come back to Hebrews 10. We need to remember that when we come, on your way stopping four, Hebrews 4, when we come to the word of God, who do we come to? We come face to face with the Godhead themselves. So when you read scripture, Hebrews 4 on your way to 10, When you read scripture, who are you talking to? God himself. Now, if you think that attitude and that thought process to which Bible you're reading, I would want to make sure I'm reading the right one. Follow that? (laughs) Because if I'm reading the wrong one, then I ain't talking to God, and I want to be talking to the big guy. My completeness resides in him, and you're complete in him Far above, who, who, who? The guy that's way above all of it. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divining asunder of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What's the only thing out there that knows your heart? The word of God. Jeremiah 17 says that the, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all. And then it says, who can know it? That means you don't know your heart. That means you don't know. I, I know you, 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 I hear people play situational ethics all the time. You don't know what you would do if you were the fireman running into the building to save people. You wouldn't know what you would do. It takes a different kind of click to get out and run in. Me, I'm going to the fire hydrant. Just turn it on. <laughs> Go the other way. Why? I don't have that click. It's not that I don't love who's inside. Now, if it's my family, that's a completely different thing, isn't it? What's a mama going to do? Mama bear is the hardest thing to keep out of a burning fire when her babies are in there. Why? Because that's a click that clicks and boom. That's what we're talking about here. Folks, who reads you? You don't know what you would do. Oh, Rick, I would pull a gun and pull the trigger. No, you wouldn't. You don't know. But who knows? The word of God does. Look at the next verse. We, usually we stop. Keep reading verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not, what? Manifest in his sights. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him which whom we have to do. He sees it all. But Uh-oh is right. But notice how it started. The what? The word of God. What's reading your meter? The word does. Well, I want to prove a point. You know what that word will say? Here's the verses that prove your point. But then here are the verses that destroy your point. Because it isn't God's point, it's your point, and it's human viewpoint, so we're going to kill that, and we're going to get you to divine viewpoint. See, that's what studying's doing to you, your movement. Now, Hebrews 10. Got to go, got to go. Hebrews 10. I was doing the today's reference, and it's a long list. I thought of Paul's comment, but... Then I was trying to do the overhead, and it's like two columns. So it just, again, just kind of remind you here. I need a bigger overhead? Don't say that. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews, God is the writer of Hebrews. He says something very interesting here in verse 7. Then said I. Now that's going to be the son. Lo, I. The Son, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I come. Now watch. In the volume of the book it is written of me. To do thy will, O God. The volume of the what? The book. It's written about who? It's written about the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His importance to the plan of the Father to reconcile 
the earth and to reconcile the heavenly places back under its rightful ownership. So if I'm going to use a book that destroys or detracts or takes away from him, I'm just going to send it over there for kindling for the campfire. Why? Because who's the center figure of the scriptures? He is. Who should be the center figure of our life? Who's the center figure of our sufficiency? He is. Man, you take Philippians, you take every chapter, and Paul says, Christ is my life, Christ is my mind, Christ is my goal, Christ is my all. He said, and you know what? We go over here, well, in, in, in the original reading, no. It's right here. By the way, Hebrews 10, 7 is a quote out of Psalms 40. So who said it first? Oh, David did. And we all know who David is, and there he is. Come back to Philippians chapter 1. So his word is our life. It's the so- He's the source of our all. And it's his word. Folks, do you know how you know that you're blessed with all spiritual blessings? Philippians 1. Do you know how you know that you're going to be delivered from the wrath to come? Do you know how you are not going to go through the 70th week of Daniel? Do you know how you know that you're complete in him as a present possession? Do you know how that you are glorified? It's already done from the word. If I said it, you'd just say, hey, it's just him, you know, blowing off steam. God's word says that. And where we begin to struggle, again, the simplicity that's in Christ, who makes it complicated? You do. None of this is hard. I'm preaching myself out of a job, I guess. It's not hard. You just got to say, you know what? I'm going to believe the words on the page more than what's going through my emotions in the moment. Philippians 1.11, I love this passage. This is such a tremendous passage. We'll start in verse 9. Philippians, he's writing to a group of mature saints who got an issue going on. They're terrified by their adversaries. They've allowed emotions to come in and cloud their judgment and their thinking. And you know what Paul doesn't do to adults, to mature people? He doesn't do what he did to the Corinthians and the Galatians and bend them over his knee and spank them. He says, I need to have a conversation with you. You're an adult. If you look down there in, in verse 15. Oh, it's not there. Shoot. Ver, chapter 3, verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be, what? Perfect. Be thus minded. You see, mature. there's some maturity people there, and, he's, and they're not acting right. they got an issue going on. They've got emotions running the show. And you know what he says, verse 9, Philippians 1, 9? And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. If your love is abounding in knowledge and judgment, that isn't the old mushy-gushy, lovey-feely thing. That's a mental attitude love. That's charity. That's the, the, the agape love that everybody likes to talk about, the agape love. I, like, I like that one. That's, that's that valuing and esteeming each other the way God values and esteems you. And Paul says, I want that to grow more and more in knowledge and in all judgments, that you may, be, that you may approve things that are what? Excellent. Could you imagine in your life when you get to the point where you're just dealing with the excellent things? Paul says you need to be there. You should be there. That when your mind, on the table that sits in your mind, things that are up there that are excellent only. Now, what's on our table? Well, some good, some better, some best, some excellent, and then not some that's not so. What are we to do when the not so is crawling up to get on the table? We just write in the garbage can. We train our thinking to catch that. Our thinking, well, I don't know if this is excellent or not. That's okay, get in the book to figure out if it's excellent or not. You, you got the book. What are you doing? You're producing a life now. Verse 11 is the verse I was after, being filled. Look at that, being filled. That's wonderful. Not striving to, but what? Being, the state of being. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Boy, 
You ought to spend some time studying out the fruits of righteousness in Paul's epistles, the riches that we have. But keep reading because it don't stop. It gets even better. Which are by me being the church, which are by me studying, which are by me calling Rick and taking him to lunch. Okay, somebody caught it, okay. Now, what does it say? Which are by who? Wait a second. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by who? Oh, look at the, where the, where's the fruits being produced? Not me slaving away, but by him being resident, by him being the center of my thinking. Unto the glory and praise of God. That's why verse 20, Paul would say, according to my earnest hope, I'm, I'm sorry, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Think about that. Think about what's going on in your life. The stresses, the ups, the downs, the overhears, the, the disappointments. Boy, those really get you. The loss of a loved one. The loss of something. Paul says, ah, I don't want to be ashamed in any of that. You see, the circumstance isn't what's driving the thinking. The circumstance is not what he can say, I shall be ashamed, but it, that, in, with, that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, in Paul's thinking, no matter the situation, Paul's in prison in Philippians. He said, that ain't the problem. The problem isn't the prison guard. The problem's my thinking, and my thinking needs to be over here because for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knew he was dying. He knew death was close. By the way, we all know we're dying, I hope, right? Okay, just checking. He reaches over and he says, you know what I want? I want the life of Christ to be magnified here. He's dealing with the issue of the sufficiency of the grace of God. He's dealing with, you know what? I can do this because of who I am in Christ. I have his word. His word is designed to produce a life in me. And that's going to then lead me to, you know what? His grace is sufficient then. And Christ is sufficient in all the areas of my life. I don't need anything else. I don't need anyone else. I have it all. I have, Ephesians 1, 3, all spiritual blessings. I have, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, been made complete in him. I am seated with him in heavenly places. I have all of this, and we revel in it, and it's wonderful until trouble comes. And then what do we do? We right off the, the edge. And he says, no, Paul, that's what flip. don't do. Stay right where you're at. I have it all in him. And you know what I need to do? I need to get into that book that holds him as the center figure, that holds him up as, and I need to understand who I have in the riches of his grace and who I am there. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. My bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You see, folks, we have... Those simple principles. Do we have the Word of God? Yeah, we do. In the King James Bible, for you and I speaking English, by the way, for the other speakers, the other languages, the Word of God is there. You just got to go find it. Problem is, I don't speak that, so I can't say it's in this one and this one and this one. You find some. I'll be honest with you. If you took someone who spoke Spanish and you teach them the sound doctrine, you know what they're going to go find? The right Bible to preach from. They will, because what do they want? What do they love? What do they got to have? The truth. See? So when those other Bibles don't, pre, don't hold the Lord as the center, then what are you going to do? What are they going to do with that? They're going to discard that. They're going to go look for the one that holds him as the center. You follow that? Okay. I say that for the record. 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 30. Wonderful verse. Powerful verse. 
but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Who, Christ Jesus, of God is made unto us. So God the Father takes the Son, and by the way, where are you? You're in him. And what does he make him to you and I? Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know what the Father's done to the Son? He's turned you, turned him to your benefit. In Ephesians over there, in Colossians, he'll say he's the head of the church. Talking about the principalities and powers. Out there. He's there for your benefit. He's on your side. And what the Father sees in the Son, he now sees in you and I. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Oh, the verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You see, folks, God didn't say, I'm going to do this with you and then just let you go. He says, I'm doing this because you're in my Son. And look at how much I love my Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, when they created creation, they were creating it to, and put cre- wanting to put creatures in it that would love and value them as much as they loved and valued the creation. In the new heaven, in the new earth, the Father says, there's my Son, love him as much as I loved him. How did he love him? With every fiber in his makeup. Glorified. And you know what we're going to do? The same thing. 2 Corinthians 3, verse number 5, he says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of who? God. So what does he do? Chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure our ambassadorship ministry, where? In an earthen vessel. Why? Why does he put it in this thing that's frail? James says your life is but a vapor. Why does he put it in something so frail? You'd think he'd put it in something with a little more oomph with it. Why? That. The excellency, that, the purpose, the intent, the reason of the power may be of who? God and not of himself. Come over to 2 Corinthians. Get 2 Corinthians 9 and get 2 Corinthians 12 quickly. 2 Corinthians 9, verse number 8. We'll do these out of order here quickly. You can look at the other ones. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency and all good work, and all, good, and all things may abound to every good work. Folks, we lack nothing in the sufficiency of God's grace. 2 Corinthians 12 is usually where we always end up in thinking about suffering and life and what's happening here. And I just want you to pay attention to these two verses. As we close, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 and verse 9. Here you have the Apostle Paul. He's been left for dead. So we're in the Acts, here again with Acts, right? Acts 14 time period. They pull him outside of Derby and Lystra and they stone him. They leave him for dead. You know what that means? They went over and checked on him, took his pulse, and they said he's dead. They leave. Paul says, I was taken up into the third heaven. Up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. And he gets to see the, revela- the finished out revelation of it all. He gets to see what later is written as Ephesians and the doctrine of the heavenly places. It's not time yet for him to say that because we're in Acts 14. He hasn't had time to develop anything else yet. But you go read Paul's life and his activity from Acts 14 on, and that man cares nothing for his life. That means he knows something bigger and better is coming, doesn't he? For to me to live is Christ, but to die is what? He saw that right here. You can see this right here, right now. You can live your life with no regard to the future. Why? Because to die is gain. But to live for Christ is far better. You see, it's an attitude, it's a thinking 
So the Lord gives, oh, Paul a messenger. A thorn in a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, and everybody's got their ideas about it and what it is. But it, it but that that thorn is to do what? Buffeting him. It's to remind him of the perils of the moment, to remind him. Verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Think about that. Paul prayed for physical healing and for a physical intervention how many times? Three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. Philippians 4, I think it's up there. If you go read verse 6 and 7, it talks about prayer and asking for, let your request be made known. But what's the answer? The peace of God is going to keep your hearts and minds. So look at verse 9, because watch God answer Paul's petition. So my point is, is, it's not wrong to pray to God about what's going on in life. That's what prayer is. Prayer is simply talking to the Father about what's going on and how to take his word and apply it to the details of life. How do I take this? I think about Lay's surgery. He going to surgery. Some of others have gone into surgery. How do you think about surgery? Do you know there's a 50-50 chance you don't come up? You don't wake back up. But as a believer, what does that do? There should be some comfort, some peace. Thank you. (laughs) Good word. Why? Because if I don't wake up and see my family, who am I going to wake up and see? My Lord, my Savior. Now, I'm not saying everybody go run to have surgery. It's a thinking process, though. When you say, hey, you know what? Why? Because notice verse 9. Notice, and he what? Wait a second. I got the word of God on this. I know we all jump, my grace is sufficient for thee. And we jump there and we miss the answer to the prayer. The answer to the prayer is not my grace is sufficient. The answer to the prayer is, and he said unto me. What's the word of God say to me? You know what it says, guys? If you're a father, get a job and support your family if you have a family. You know what it says for husbands? We're to love our wives and we're to do. You know what it says for wives? We're to do and submit and do. What does it say? I don't have to go, well, I don't know. Where's Dr. Spock? Let's get the big book out. Ah, No, I got the word of God right here. What does it say for raising a family? Our young married couples are going to be moving to the young families. (laughs) You know why? Because they're all having kids. What's happened? How do I raise children? That verse says, fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring them. Don't send them. Bring them. And what am I doing? I'm sitting there going, hey, you know what? Here's the sound doctrine. Kid, you're a savage heathen, and you need to get saved. And you start putting verses in that mush brain. That's what Linda's doing over there. She's like, well, what do I do? I said, just put a verse in that brain. You got them for like 10 nanoseconds. Just stick a verse in there. She goes, well, which verse? I said, all of them. Just boom, you know. Get what you can do. And she's like, well, they like the color. I said, well, then start with Adam and Eve and work your way through so that they understand. How many of you know the story of Jonah and the whale? Don't raise your hand. But you would be surprised how many people don't know that story. And they're grown-ups, and they sit in Christian churches all over the country today. Oh, man, I'm off my book. And he said unto me, what was the answer to Paul's prayer? Wasn't a divine reach down and zap him and what up, you know, shift strand, boom, it's done. What it, by the way, Acts 14, he could have done that. He could have. What is it? And he said unto me. There's the power of the word of God. Now, the word of God is, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Wow. Paul is being, by the way, Paul is being reminded here of all that he had in God's grace. Paul's asking for help. So that messenger, that thorn, had to be something so drastic in Paul's life and his environment that he's asking for help. In 2 Corinthians 11, the list there when Paul's beaten and all that stuff, he didn't beg for help in those, a lot of those. And you read the account. Here he's asking for help. And you know what God says? Paul, my word to you is my grace is 
sufficient. Because when you're weak, I, I'm, I become the center of your weakness. I become the center of your thinking. When you're at your lowest point, when you're at rock bottom, it was said the only place to go is what? Up. He's not saying that. He says, man, when, so Paul, what does Paul say? Well, let me think about it. I need another verse. No, he says what? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Take pleasure? What is this guy, nuts? But he does. Why? Because what did the word of God to him do? What does the word of God to you do? It adjusts that thinking. You have to remember 2 Corinthians. Paul's been in a depressed state, missing Titus. He's showed us the ebb and flows of his life and the highs and the lows of life and ministry. And at the end here, what's he reminded? You need to just rest. You need to relax in everything I've provided for you. Paul, you need to calm your mind. Rick, you put in your name. You need to calm your mind. And you need to remind yourself of all of the provisions, the riches of his grace that we have. We don't find them on Dr. Phil and Sister O. We find them in the pages of the Word of God. That's where you find them. You don't find them out there in human viewpoint and religions of the world. You find it from the Word of God. That's where we... Those two simple things. We need, to be, we need to remind ourselves the sufficiency of God's Word and then the sufficiency of His grace. It would have been really nice for Him the moment you got saved to pull you home, take you to heaven. But then... He would never had anyone here to do the work. So he leaves you. He leaves you in that sin-cursed creation, Romans 8. But do you know how that passage in Romans 8 there ends? What are we waiting for? The hope, the adoption of our body, the hope that's laid before us. What a calming thing when life's bellows roll because they roll. When all you can do is say, you know what, Lord, your word to me says that I need to whatever. Man, you remember that. It doesn't matter what comes life's way. It's appointed unto man what? Once to die. D death is that, that big boogaboo, big enemy in the room. You know, it shouldn't be for you. It's a liberator. He's taking care of the last enemy. He's defeated death already. It's a great liberator. Why? Because you you, no more hurt. No more sorrow. Again, I'm not, don't run out there and do anything, okay? But man, what a thought process. These two issues, I lay them before you to remind you of them. I remind myself daily, weekly, hourly, minutely, sometimes of the sufficiency of his word, rightly divided, and then the sufficiency that he's given me and who I am in Christ. And that no matter what you do, that never dampens. That never goes away. No matter what I do, it never dampens. It never goes away. It's here. It's right here. I hope you will remember that. You don't need all those verses, just a few. You pick them to remind you. And just remind yourself, Glenn, you know, I always ask, I'll tell you what I always ask myself, how was your week? Well, you know, no, how was your week? It was fantastic. You know why? Because of who I am in Christ. Does that mean the job was a breeze that day? No. It doesn't mean the events of the day. It just means what? My attitude about it. My thought process with it. And I will remind you, others do watch you. Others do pay attention. So just remember that. You may think you're blowing up in private, but there are those that will see that. And you need to pay attention to that. 
That's why this is the first. Okay? All right, well, went a little longer than I had planned on it, but there's a lot of verses. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for everything we have in your son. We thank you for the riches of his grace, the riches of your grace, and the attitude of the Godhead toward us of grace and peace. And we thank you for that. And we do it with hearts of gratitude, demonstrating that as we go and live as who we are in your son. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see.